Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. Today's episode 43 and we're going to be joined by Klaus Thompson, the 2006 World Barista Champion as well as the founder of Coffee Collective in Copenhagen. So welcome all on board. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the live stream and uh, as usual if you've been enjoying it just uh, feel free to take a screenshot and share across your coffee friends and non-coffee friends so it's good to see you all i hope you're well i hope you're safe and uh, soon we'll be joined by this another amazing person in the coffee industry and we'll we'll love the the knowledge the stories feel free to ask the questions and uh here he here is here's klaus Hello. Hello. Good morning to you. Good morning. What time is it there? <laughs> 5 p.m. It's more towards evening, but but it's all good. Uh, you got an amazing. Right. Yeah. Well, you got an amazing backdrop. Plants. Nordic stylists. I'm yeah. very jealous. <laughs> it's. I got the. It's it's one of the most beautiful sunny days today. So I got like good sunlight into the living room. So yeah, it's it's beautiful. That's here. fantastic, uh, Klaus. Uh, very nice to meet you. Uh, thank you for giving us an hour Likewise. of your time. I'm feeling very grateful for it. Uh, first and foremost, I hope that you, your family, and Coffee Collective family are all well and safe. How's everyone doing with the situation, which is a little bit unusual with the virus? Yeah, I think uh, everyone here is, uh, that I know is safe. I, I actually don't think I know anyone who's had the uh, coronavirus or even suspected it, actually. <clears throat> the, uh, yeah. And uh, everyone at work is, is doing well. Uh, family is doing well. So, yeah, we are, I think we're in a pretty good, pretty good place. Very, very glad to hear. That's absolutely the yeah. number one priority at the time. Um, now, to get the ball rolling, yeah, um, yeah. You're one of the pioneers of the coffee industry. Um, definitely one a, very, a figure that many of us look up to. Uh, could you kindly tell us uh, how did you actually get started into your coffee journey? Yeah, so I guess it was kind of like a lot of people uh, who end up in coffee. Uh, and I say end up because it's, it's kind of the way it's, it's very few people has it as like a direct career path that I want to do coffee. Uh, so for, for me, it started because I moved to London um, and, you know, just kind of the regular want to live in the big city and experience. And, uh, and I got a job at Starbucks and kind of really liked that whole like service part of it and really enjoyed uh, yeah, being part of the team there and everything. Uh, I, I didn't really know anything about coffee. So hence why I was working at Starbucks. But uh, but there was still some education there. And I, I think I was one of the last people to actually get like proper training on a La Marsocco. They were using La Marsocco linears uh -huh. at the time. So we actually had like a proper dial-in session and, and that machine as part of the training. And I, I can't help thinking if I'd never gotten that, if I'd only worked on the super automatic machines, if I have, would have gotten into coffee. Because I really remember that as a trigger, that whole like, dialing in, looking at the espresso in the shot glasses and steamy milk and everything that it was kind of like, wow, I'm learning something. This is like, I'm actually using my hands for something and I'm creating something. Yeah. Uh, 
but then like the the real like uh you know how to say like uh, when you dive into the rabbit hole actually didn't come until a couple of years later um i had in the meantime i had worked in in norway for a few months and uh, on a hotel and a lot of, lot of danish people do that for like one ski season or something to because the pay in norway is really great so <laughs> I did it just to have some cash, and then when I came back, my uh, my then girlfriend and I decided to uh, to buy an espresso machine. We kind of just we we had both been baristas in London, and we kind of missed that whole like working on an espresso machine and steaming milk. And we had the cash, and then went out to uh, yeah to buy a machine. And literally within like three to six months, I went from just knowing what I knew at Starbucks to it becoming like my complete obsession, like you know, being online, diving into coffee forums and blogs and ordering books online and reading everything I could get my hands on, you know, David Schomer and uh, there was one, uh, what's his name? I forget it's called The Perfect Cup or something. One that I remember George Howell had recommended that, that his baristas were reading. And so, yeah, so that was like, that was really it. Then I was hooked. It was like my biggest hobby I started you know, with a home roaster and everything. Um, and then I kind of decided after a while that since this was so much fun, I might as well work with it professionally as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then haven't left since. So. And I think you've been, I mean, we've known each other for five minutes, but I can see how humble you are. I mean, you kind of forgot a very minor, a small detail about 2006. Uh, <laughs> I think it's relevant yeah, to mention we, it. I mean, <laughs> Obviously, for people who don't know, you won the yeah. World Barista Championship in '06. I mean, how defining was that moment for your admission? I think it was completely defining, but I think it, in some ways, it actually started two years before because uh, that year was the first year of, uh, competing. And it was like a gentle nudge from uh, my manager in the coffee shop I was working in. She was saying, like, well, you should really go compete. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it. And then I won the Danish championship and placed third in the world. And this was the year uh, Tim Bendelbo won. And I was like seven points behind him. And I think one point from Sammy Piccolo from Canada. And I just remember that being like the biggest surprise ever that I could come onto that world stage and do so well. And, and then I was just completely in love with the community. Like, uh, it was in Trieste in Italy. And I remember this feeling of meeting all these people that I had only seen online. And some of them were like legends in my head already, you know. Um, and then just this kind of communal feeling that it was like a family reunion of sorts. And it it was very much about coffee, but it was also about having fun. It was also about going out for dinners and actually getting to know each other as, as people. Um, and so that was like, yeah, that was a big turning point for me. And I then decided to take a year away from competing just to to kind of improve my own knowledge because I kind of felt like a rookie in a lot of ways. And I hadn't been to a coffee farm and all these things. So it took a year to focus on building capacity, going to origin, learning about coffee, instead of just saying, oh, let's compete straight away. And I think that was a very a very good career move in a way to, to actually build a little bit of knowledge. And it meant that I then really prepared for, yeah, for the for the win in 2006. And of course that was, you know, just as big a turning point in, in that way, because it gave the opportunities to travel 
all over the world to Australia, to Japan, the United States, Brazil, and do coffee lectures and talk with other people. And as much as it was me giving lectures, I really felt like it was a, another year of learning, like getting the most amazing opportunities to see coffee shops and farms and, and everything. So Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, you share a similar answer to with other people that have been here in terms of, I think competition, many people see that as a destination, but it's actually the departure. It's actually the starting point. Uh, before I continue yeah. on other questions, uh, Oasis Dweller asking, what tips would you give to someone thinking to start a roaster in Germany? And connected to that, we have Mohati Moody asking, planning to learn roasting, which place can you advise? Which is kind of a similar question, but Oasis Dweller in terms of Germany as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, starting a roastery, I think you you really need to figure out what, what do you really want to do? Like, what do you want to achieve? Do you want to have a roastery that does wholesale? Do you also want to have coffee shop or what what is the situation? And then learning to roast is, uh, I think it's in, incredibly difficult in some ways, but it's gotten a lot easier now. There, there are really good consultants out there giving advice. But before you start just taking in other people's advice, I think it's really, really solid if you can build some kind of uh, a little bit of your own confidence into what you're about to achieve. So that means for me, like the most essential thing is getting good at cupping. Really make sure that you you know how to cup, that you trust your taste buds, but also uh, challenge yourself. So attend cuppings with people who are better than you at cupping. Uh, and I generally believe everybody can taste, but there are people who are way better at it than others, just like you know, running or whatever else. It's the more you train, the better you get at it. Um, because if you're really good at, at cupping, at tasting, then you can let that be your guideline in whatever else you do. Uh, so you can use that as your base for experimentation and say, instead of just listening to like some of these great consultants, I mean, I think Scott Rao is uh, amazing at, at what he does. He's really good at, at teaching others, but I don't necessarily agree with his taste preferences. So we have a completely different kind of yeah, idea about how we should roast coffee. And it works for us. It's not to say that it doesn't work for him. So, but, and I think so that finding your own voice in roasting and what you want to achieve is, is instrumental. And then the next thing I think that, that's very sort of important for us is to start already from the beginning engaging with farmers because it has gotten tremendously easier since we started to get high quality coffee beans. Like they're really good importers all around the world. But, um, and I don't mean to, to, um, to belittle the work that they do because a lot of them are fantastic. But I do, do think personally that there's a huge value of you personally getting engaged with farmers uh, and not just relying on an importer and buying from their list. Um, and it's also, it's not just for, you know, the benefit of the farmer, it's for the benefit of you as a roaster as well, because the more you engage with that, the more you'll value your raw product, the more you'll learn about what actually creates that product. And it brings so much value towards your customers, be that wholesale or uh, B2C customers as well. So we started our company, I can say, without any investors. We, we took like loans in our small co-op apartments, which was like nothing and scrape together what we could to buy a roaster. We set up a shop in a, in a, like a warehouse that didn't cost anything. It was far out of town. 
But the first two coffees we bought were bought directly from farmers, from Daterra in Brazil, who could export themselves, and from a farm in Guatemala called Finca Mosa. And that's, I think, what, 13 years ago now. And we're still buying from those two farms. But I'm so happy that we were able to start buying directly from them. And it's, I don't actually honestly think it's that difficult if you just put in a little bit of resources into it. And, uh, yeah. no, so that's my that's amazing. very long advice. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to top that up. Yeah. I think my two cents would be just as much as a barista based on where you're at to start from the basics. I think people, we all want to... We all want to become a latte art champion or a barista champion, but we really need to start from washing dishes. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think yeah. with roasting, it's you need to learn, correct. You need, learn yeah. the ropes. Yeah, and I think learn the ropes. And then uh, I see a question about roasting machines as well. Like, to be honest, I think I've had a fantastic coffee from pretty much every single roaster out there. I also had really bad coffee from every single roaster out there. It's just like, an espresso machine. It's a tool. Some tools will allow you to perform better. And I definitely think like we're super, super happy with the Loring Smart Roast that we have. Um, we did test a lot of different roasters before we invested in that. Um, but I mean, I have great coffee from, yeah, from a variety of roasters. So, so don't get too hung up on that. Uh, I would more look at, if, if possible, go visit some other roasters, see if you could, could get some time or listen to their experiences. Um, and then there, there is one like key thing that I always know that, that a lot of people overlook, but that's the airflow. Make sure you have lots and lots of airflow. So if you have a chimney or an installation, one really, really good tip is maybe get a second fan uh, on the exhaust at the end of your chimney so you have a negative pressure throughout from, from your roaster. That's perfect. But I and I can't actually go into much more detail than that because I am not a roaster. I don't. I used to roast when we had our small roastery. I I did like I had one roasting day a week because I thought that would be fun to learn. But I also became painfully aware that I am not patient enough for roasting. Roasting really requires a lot of patience. Um, like you're doing the same thing over and over again. You're making small adjustments, but compared to like brewing an espresso and then tasting it, and then and making an adjustment and tasting again. With roasting, you have to wait a day, cup, and then wait to next roasting day to do a small adjustment. And it's like, it's yeah, I don't have the patience well, for it. Yeah, I, I think once you, once you realize your strengths and once you realize what you enjoy, it becomes very easier at finding your path and that figure and role that you really want to explore within the industry. There's many jobs, where is marketing, where is yeah. roasting, where is wholesale salesman, barista, brewer, trainer, consultant. It really goes mm -hmm. on and on and all the list of options that you go out there. But, and then obviously yeah. after winning WBC, uh, Coffee Collective was born more or less. Uh, what yeah. values and ideas are behind it? Because I think it's nice to kind of travel back in time and think what values and ideas did we base it on? Yeah, so uh, I started the, the company together with uh, Peter Dupont and Casper uh, Engel Asmussen. We had a, a fourth uh, co-founder who since has left the company. But, um, but all three of us were working in the same coffee company and had similar ideas about what could be improved. And I think the, the, the core of the DNA was that we really saw when we looked at the whole coffee industry, saw that there was something broken in the way that coffee was being traded. 
that we had these experiences from a, a cooperative in Ethiopia who had produced a magnificent coffee um, one year and it had been like one of the best Ethiopians that I literally ever tasted. The next year when that company came back to buy it, they couldn't buy it because they had gone bankrupt. Even though we had bought it, paid a lot of money, it, it was that feeling of like, where, where did it go wrong? And it, it just turned out that they just didn't have the funding. They just hadn't sold at a high enough price. We also had seen like uh, with, with other farms that the, the access to the coffee wasn't really there. Like where there wasn't a, a dialogue about improving quality and uh, you weren't really getting the same kind of coffee every year from, from the farms because they were kind of like just selling to different people. So we kind of had this idea that building long-term relationship would really benefit the quality of the coffee that we would be able to serve. So that was like a general premise to say, like, instead of just having a few sort of direct trade coffees to say, let's do everything direct trade from the beginning. Let's not be reliant on other people in the mid path. Let's make sure that we can guarantee the money going out to the farmers in terms of contracts and everything. So we can have a paper trail that documents it. Um, and both to, both to make sure that the, the money actually gets to the people who need it the most of, of everyone in the chain, um, but also so that they are allowed to, to have the capital to invest back into quality that will be you know, a positive spiral that will allow us to have a better quality, which means that we can charge more from customers, which means we can pay more back, and so that it's a positive spiral instead of this race towards the bottom that is often the case. So that was one part of it. And the other part was that we kind of looked at Copenhagen at that time and felt like there's really something missing in terms of how coffee was presented. Um, there was not a single roastery, I think, that, that you could walk into, have a cup of coffee and look at the roasting. So we wanted to have an open roastery where people could engage more into the whole product. Um, and that was a fantastic thing to, to get, get going because people had never, we found out, really seen green coffee beans. So just that on its own, when they saw that, they were like, what is that? Oh, that's the coffee before it's roasted. And, you know, it's, it's a good conversation start in that way. Yeah. Um, so that was like, yeah, we, we knew we wanted to have like that, that service part of it and, and build like the kind of follow it all the way from seed to cup to, to use a popular term. Uh, that's beautiful. And I, I think what well, you touch based on two elements that the open roaster, it's something that even here in Melbourne, those places where they have access to the roastery, they just do better. It's just the overall experience. And I think values yeah. into people drives into my next question, which is, you know, we all love coffee, uh, but it wouldn't be really possible without the people in the community from origin to roasters, yeah. but also from baristas to consumers. I think that often we forget about this. I forgot about the people in the whole chain or some of the people in the chain. Could be people, yeah. the new trend moving forward, especially after the pandemic, where we lost connections because of lockdowns and whatnot. Yeah, I definitely think like, uh, I mean, it's, it's a very popular uh, and maybe a cliche phrase to say that, that people is your most valuable asset in a company, your, your employees. But I think for us, like we, our entry into coffee was as baristas. Um, when we started the company, we were all behind the machine serving every single cup for many years until we started getting employees. So I think we have a really deep found respect for 
what it takes to be a barista. And I certainly, that respect is keeps growing for me because I think being a barista when I started was way easier than it is today. I think we actually demand a lot more from our staff now than, than I was able to deliver back then. Yeah. Um, and, and that goes in terms of service, in terms of speed, in terms of dialing in coffees, in terms of being precise on everything you do and, and still make an even better experience for every guest who comes in. So we have a deep found respect for that. Um, last year, we became a, a B Corporation, certified B Corp. Um, if you don't know what B Corp is, I, I advise everyone who used to go and, and check it out. I think it, it's, for me, the most, the most valuable certification out there because it certifies a company, not a product, and it looks at a variety of ways. And one of the dimensions it looks at is people. It is how do you treat people throughout your value chain, but how do you treat your employees, but also how do you engage with your local community? So I think there's a lot of, of, of value in thinking about that. Um, and for us, it's, it's part of the, yeah, it's part of that process. It's part of going to visit the farmers every year is to meet as people, meet as equals. Instead of meeting as the buyer with all the money who comes to buy a product and yeah, we'll pay if the quality is there. It's, it is also to look them in the eye and say, okay, yeah, we, we thought we paid a good price, but I can see in you that you need more, you want more. How can I, if, if you meet face-to-face, -face, like last, last October, we were in uh, Colombia. We were working with some, some different farmers there. We are paying a really high price for the coffee. But one of the, the women at one of the farms, she was really pushing us. And it just felt so great to kind of feel a little bit like, fuck, you're right. Like, we should pay even more. Like, we, yes, you're right. It's like, we should really try to whatever. Like, we are, we're paying a lot for the quality. And we want to say back that if, you, if your quality improves, you will pay more. But... But it's also like when you're sitting face to face, you really get a more profound like respect or it, it's harder to say, to be cold and just say, oh, if the, the quality isn't there, let's pay less or something because you know how it affects uh, that person in front of you. So, yeah. And valuing those relationships from, you know, the, the farmers mm -hmm. to you, but also your staff and you, as well as your staff and the end consumer, I think it's nurturing those relationships is key in many elements. Uh, first of all, we are in the people business. It is hospitality. So without the smile, without that, uh, it's, it's, there, there is no shop without the people as well. Uh, and, yeah. and there is no yeah. coffee to be bought. But also I think the overall experience yeah. is just much better because at the end of the day, the best cup of coffee is when we share it with a friend that we haven't seen in a long time, with family, with loved ones. Yeah. Uh, or if I'm alone in a new city and I can interact with the barista because I'm sitting at espresso bar. Uh, so I think that people yeah. really, coffee is so much about people and less of the fancy dust that's thrown around it. So I agree with you. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Philip is asking a yeah. question. I think it's one of oh, sorry, it's yeah. one of the things that our our yeah it's one of the things that I think our baristas are missing right now. Is in exactly that like the the coffee tourists who are coming in because we're still kind of on a shutdown. There's only a few countries that are open for visiting Denmark now, um, and I know all everyone in our staff loves when they have coffee visitors. Like people who are just interested who want to chat about coffee, and it's it's been such a great thing to see that grow over the years like relationships happening someone from the states visiting a coffee shop and really hitting it off 
with one of our baristas and then that barista go to visit them in the states and it's like yeah it's it's really a communal uh, feeling yeah. it's like the movies right the baristas and your bartender in the movies you know uh, uh you know we go to the bar to drink a whiskey yeah. a scotch whatever and we talk our stories yeah. we share stories because that's how we build eventually our evolution is based on storytelling yeah whether it is yeah. about soccer or whether it is about coffee it's irrelevant at that communal yeah. table it becomes like the fire from our ancestors where they would share stories of the stars and planets and what not yeah uh, but now we yeah i have a i have a food writer a friend who is uh, she she writes for like numerous papers and stuff and she i remember she was writing in uh, in one like uh, advice guide or something for uh, for one of the biggest newspapers she said whenever she goes traveling be it berlin or barcelona or wherever her trick is to go visit like the good coffee shops first so she'll get recommendations from her local baristas in copenhagen she'll go visit the coffee shops there and then she'll ask them about food and wine and where to go recommendations because she said it's like they're the people who know like they know what's new they know what's like what's happening and what's interesting and i thought that was quite quite cool to be like the baristas are like highlighters like we're in the know we're the ones you go to 100% 100% um uh, philip is asking a little bit of a technical question and i uh, let's answer it yeah does having an open yes. roastery make it more difficult to have a proper manufacturing process because we need things like this donors room with control environment and other manufacturing things so what's your take on the hazard of having an open roastery thank you philip for the question yeah thank you for the question philip that's a it's a really good question uh, and and yes it does uh, so when we started out on uh, on our small coffee shop our first place uh, in yersbogel as it's called um, we had like literally a small 12 kilo probe rat sitting in the middle of the room and people could sit around and it was really great for interaction and it was like fantastic for the first few years towards the i would say the last two years we were roasting there it was a nightmare because you had people like coming up asking questions right when you're listening for first crack or you're like really seeing like when should i finish this roast and then someone's like oh what are you doing and you're like uh, i can't talk now um i think also as as production grew yeah you have a lot like we need a way in film machine now and we like we need a lot more space so what we did uh, when we moved our roastery to where it currently is was we kind of wanted to keep that open roastery feel we wanted to have that like that you could still see it and engage with it that it wasn't just in the suburbs of Copenhagen um so we built like a huge glass wall separating the coffee shop from the roastery um yeah i i think like inspired maybe by some of the the really good um restaurants around Copenhagen have an open kitchen uh and also I, i've been to i remember i was in, in south africa and I was, there was a wine um how to say a wine producer there mm-hmm. who had like the glass wall into all the um, like into the cellar basically um, where the coffee was in casks and and that feeling that you you can still engage with you can see it there but but it's still protected you don't have to listen to all the noise from the roaster because the roaster is really noisy especially the the green bean suction is terribly loud um you don't have any like we don't really have any smoke but you wouldn't have any smoke you don't have all the the hassle but you can still sit there in the coffee shop and see people working you can see 
the, the green beans going in, you see the brown beans coming out, you can see the conveyor belt to the Wayne film machine, and you can see people sit there and manually pack the coffee. And that's a huge experience and a great way to, to spark some conversations about what it is we're doing. And talking about sparks, uh, Oasis Dweller said that he met Peter at Seven Shots in Leipzig in, in Germany a couple of weeks ago, and that sparked in yeah. him more of a passion for coffee in southern Germany. That's where he bought his first coffee, collected coffee uh, from them. Awesome. So awesome. They are really good uh, wholesale customers, and some of the – I really, really enjoy following them on Instagram because they have that – fun vibe going it's like I, it makes me feel like when we were starting out like that it's just so full of energy and they're just doing things they they recently made these super fantastic kieni which is our kenyan partner um how do you call them like uh i forget the english word i'm so okay. terrible but uh, a football uh that you wrap like a around, scarf a scarf that that's what it's looking for. Sorry, that's beautiful. But they made these football scarves with Kiani Ultras, as uh, <laughs> as I think their team is called, and and our triangles in it looks awesome. So yeah, go give them a follow. Oh, boy, they I'll, I'll they to, constantly have something up in their store. I have to check it yeah. out for sure. I'll type it in here. Yeah. Um, but um, and, and, and which it's perfect because I love where the flow where this is going because I was actually literally going next to uh, how is the I mean, I'm from Italy originally on the border of Austria, Switzerland, uh, in the mm -hmm. Alps, but I've been in Australia now nine, uh, mm -hmm. nine years. How is yeah. it Denmark and European neighbors uh, coffee scene? And what's the most popular, I guess, type of coffee that you guys see ordered? I think, uh, I mean, to be quite frank, in the coffee shops, it's like most everywhere else, it is milk-based, espresso-based uh, milk drinks. Like the cappuccino is our biggest seller. And I'm really happy that we sell more cappuccinos than we sell lattes because there's more, a lot more coffee flavor in the <laughs> cappuccinos. But, but in general, on home consumption, it's black filter coffee, which is also what I'm, I'm drinking right now. Um, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Iceland, it's like... I'd say 99% of homes have a coffee machine or a black filter coffee option at home and will drink it daily. It is like our national beverage in that way. If you've been here through the winter times, you'll know why, because it's terribly dark and cold. So we need that, uh, that hot liquid. And I can kind of feel that it's, I, I do think like it's, the weather actually plays a big part of it because we need something warm to sit and sip. And in the summertime, like now, I can feel how I'm changing my habits to drinking more straight espressos because when it's really hot, I don't feel like a big cup of warm filter coffee. So, so there's definitely something that comes into play there. Yeah. And um, in general, I, I'd say we're like a lot of times you hear about Scandinavian or Nordic light roasts, which I think is because there's, there's a few of us, a few roasteries who are kind of, kind of spearheaded that kind of trend towards roasting lighter, which I always try to emphasize that the only reason we could do that to begin with was because we were buying higher quality green coffee. So the lighter you roast, the more you show of what happened at the farm level, what happened in the post-harvest production and, and everything. Um, so if you're buying lower quality, you will end up roasting darker to kind of mask defects. But with really high quality coffees, we're able to push it and push it and push it lighter without underdeveloping. That's important to stress. 
Um, and so I think we've become known around the world for that. At the same time, there are many, many, many roasteries, many supermarket roasteries who are just as dark as everywhere else in the world. So glad um, that you brought that a up. A lot of people are drinking that. I'm so glad you brought it up because yeah. that's exactly how I try to describe that to my, to my, to my family, my parents especially, on yeah. the difference between Italian, why Italian roaster roasts very dark, aside from Gardelli, the Artigianale, and the new wave. Yeah. And that's yeah. an easy way to explain it, absolutely. Um, sticking with, uh, with the hot brews, is that one of the reasons why mm -hmm. the AeroPress is one of your favorite brewing methods, even at Coffee Collective? Yeah, I really think it's... Uh, so I think with, with filter coffees, first of all, I think it showcases a lot of what we like in coffee. Like we like to focus on the aromatic side of things and really try to play with acidity and, and freshness and transparency in the coffee. And I think filter coffees in general give that um, but at the same time, different types of filtered coffee or full immersion brews will showcase the same coffee in different ways. So I really love to be able to taste the same coffee brewed on an AeroPress or a Kalita Wave or a V60 or French press. I think there's something super interesting about how it's almost like, I don't know how to explain it, but like looking at a sculpture and walking around and seeing that sculpture from different angles, it's the same thing. But you see like all these different sort of nuances to it when you're brewing it in different ways. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, I need to pin or write that down. That's, <laughs> yeah, you took me there, literally. Yeah, but I think it, it's like, it's, it's, it's that like, um, I mean, on the AeroPress, some of our coffees come out quite a lot different than they do when we brew it as Kalita Wave. And sometimes it's like, it's surprising. And sometimes I think I have a clear idea about uh, that coffee will work well over here. And then I find out, wait, that's actually much better here. <laughs> I recently, and I, I like, this is what I love about coffee. It's like, I've been in coffee for, I've stopped counting the years, but it's, it's like a long time by now already. And, uh, and just during this COVID crisis, I was at home and I was experimenting with uh, with the cowboy coffee or the, the full immersion brews in this cheers uh, kettle that, that I have from Norway. And I found out that some of the, uh, the, the cocoa natural processed coffees that we have in Bolivia, which are like super whiny acidity kind of natural coffees, they're still very clean, but on, on Kalisa Wave for me, I can, I can drink maybe half a cup, but they, they very quickly become too overwhelming for me on pour over. But I suddenly found out that brewing them as that kind of cowboy coffee, full immersion, where you're dosing a, a bit higher than you are uh, usually, that worked amazingly. And suddenly I was like, this I love, this I really, really want to drink. This is so much fun. And it's tasting so much better here than it is on a filter. And I, it's like, maybe because on filter brews, I'm, I'm often looking for clarity, but on that kind of full immersion, there is no clarity. It is like a semi-dirty kind of cup. But at the same time, it's just so full on. The acidity came out beautifully. The body, the mouthfeel was so different than what I ever have on, on a paper filter. So even after all these years, you have these experiments where you fall back in love with coffee. It's amazing. It's beautiful how openly it's Here we go. I think I got you back. 
Here we go. I got you. Yeah. Got you. You good? You good? I can see you. I can hear you. Are you yeah, there? Yeah, that's all good. Can you see me? I'll right. be fine. Yeah. I, you know, I think that all right. openness that. is. We're good. Connection here. It's so good. Maybe someone tried to call on you. It's so good. I, I think the openness is key I'm just because going to to switch to another especially we kind of built a little bit of yeah. arrogance. You should drink coffee this way, that way. Yeah, Don't yeah. drink it like that. It's still, it's still very young coffee, but we were reached more past the half mark, usually asked this question seven minutes ago, but uh, the, the conversation was too flowing to destroy it. Um, it's out of the box question. Yeah. If you could, Klaus, who would you like to have dinner with? Doesn't have to be coffee people, anyone. Oh, wow. I always, I always freak out when I get questions to this because I want to get it right. I really want to something interesting. Um, who would I want to have dinner with? Um, that's a really, really interesting question because they're, they're like top of my mind. I kind of think like definitely like coffee people. I'm, I'm going to name a few, but uh, but coffee people like. And I've actually had dinner with him a, co a couple of times with George Howell in the States. I've, I was so fortunate to spend uh, a few days with him in Brazil at the Terra. Um, and I met him again. Uh, we were in Kenya at the same time and had dinner again. To be honest, that is some of the best conversations I've had um, because he is, he's a legend. And I think there's so much to learn from someone who's been in coffee for that long. Up for what he believes in. And he really like you. You can't budge him. He he knows what he believes in. But It's a strange app, and you know, you're in Denmark, I'm in Australia, we're covering lots of kilometers, but that's good. Um, I probably missed part of your answer, but uh, if you had to dinner with someone else, that would be, that would be someone that, that that that's cool. I think you know, we kind of we kind of gone here already about the cowboy brew, yeah, exactly. Coffee's popular, yeah. it's a popular drink, um, yeah, okay. but I think it's still young. I think we still haven't explored it fully, like cocoa, right. Uh, tea. Coffee is one of those too. I think there's so many flavors that we haven't tasted and I had one recently from Ona Coffee where 
uh, it tasted yeah. so different. I was like, wow, is this is coffee, you know, and it was just an espresso, not even filter. Um, what would you like to see? What would you like to see next in coffee? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's two things I would love to see next. One is kind of like a more a perfection of what we already do. Like, I think to some extent, we as an industry have maybe become a little lazy when it comes to espresso, to be honest. Like, it's one to two ratios. Everybody's kind of doing similar things. I think there's a lot more room for experimentation. Um, I recently uh, were lucky enough to test a new uh, prototype grinder from La Marsocco that uses very large conical set. And for me, that was like, yes, conical bursts are back. They give a completely different complexity than the flat burst. And there's something there where I'm like, let's, we need to discover. We need to go back. And it's, there, it might not be the, the most usable grinder on the market right now. Uh, I think they're, they're still perfecting that. But there, there's so much to gain there. So that's an example of like perfecting what we're already doing, getting better flavors out there. And then just experimenting, creating new new drinks. Oh, wow. Like we we have huge success with this coffee kombucha we are doing, which is is not just a kombucha with added coffee. It's a hundred percent black filtered coffee made into a kombucha, and no tea except for in the starter culture. Um, that's a completely different way of enjoying coffee. That is super delicious. It's fresh acidic. It reminds people of a natural wine, and suddenly you've opened up for a new coffee experience. We have a coffee soft serve that we launched uh, three or four years ago that's been hugely popular. Um, it means that people come in the summer, they have a reason to go. It's only on for the, the summer months. And, and a lot of people will buy it besides their regular coffee. So it means that, hey, we can sell more coffee, means we can buy more coffee from, from our farmer partners. So I think that experimentation with like thinking of new ways of serving coffee is super interesting. Um, and just see what like happened in coffee the last ten years. Like there was, there was not a lot yeah, of cool I love that, uh, especially ago, and throwback. That and uh, you mentioned wine. Yeah. Fun enough. Think, it's my next yeah, question. So a, like, that's, that's good you know, in comparison to wine, there's two elements that I find. Of, of well, first of all, coffee is safe to say that is underpriced. That's just mm -hmm. safe to say compared to wine. But also, I think that coffee, once is roasted in a bag, let's say in Denmark, Germany, uh, it's mostly consumed locally, yeah, more locally than globally, versus a bottle of wine, yeah. you know, it's put in a bottle and it's just shipped all over. I think there's a few, a few exceptions, like, you know, Gardelli was saying, Ruben was saying how, you know, 95% of his customers are from outside of Italy because yeah. obviously Italian don't enjoy, you yeah. know, his style of coffee, you get that. Yeah. you know, the, the most majority of part, you know, most people in Europe have not drunk coffee roasted in Australia and vice versa, right? Yeah. Would you see the potential yeah. to breach yeah. that gap? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. To some degree, I think it's, I mean, 
We, we sell quite a lot of coffee international. We ship a lot to Australia, actually, and we have subscribers, I think, in more than 45 or 47 countries um, that everywhere in the world. Um, there's a few countries we can't ship to, but it's, it's pretty global. Uh, and I think that's great in terms of showcasing what we can do to, to everyone in the world. But there is also a part of me that feels a little bit like it, it is also a little absurd that we're shipping coffee from let's say from Brazil to Denmark and then back to Brazil, or it's like roasted is like, that's a long journey. So there's, there's an element of, for me that I kind of like the localness of the roaster being closer to your local market. Um, I mean, we can't grow coffee here, so we're depending on importing it, but uh, there's something nice about more local consumption as well. Um, but of course, it is an international product, and it's it's interesting the comparison to wine because yeah, you as you say, it's with wine, it's quite often the the farmer, the the person who actually had the grapes growing and did the vinification, who will bottle it, so they will know what product ends up with the consumers, and they will be the they will be the person sending it. They'll be the yeah the sender of the product in that way. Where with coffee, it's it's hardly ever that. It's the the roastery or the coffee shop is the sender of the coffee. They're the ones bringing it out. And quite often, even in, in modern coffee shops, as a regular consumer, you actually don't see where that coffee came from. Like you just see the latte art or something. You don't really get to engage with that. And that's that I think if we want coffee to have that level of respect as wine is something we need to work on. We need to have that respect back at the farmer that they're like the wine producer. They're the ones who are responsible. For uh, speaking of responsibilities, and we are all responsible. Uh, we really give coffee for granted. Really need to point uh, yeah, out between at, climate at change, higher demand, low pricing, like wine producer. it is in danger. We don't want to be pessimistic and dark. Uh, I'm all about positivity. What? Yeah. Well, at least at least specialty coffee, I think, is in danger, or like like good coffee is in danger because I know that I'm sure there there will always be coffee. There's there will be low grown Brazils and Vietnamese and robusta varieties, and there'll be new hybrids. But is that really what we want to drink? I mean, that's what goes into you know instant coffee around the and world. Can, and what can people because people like, are going to rewatch and listen to this to the podcast uh, Spotify and whatnot. So I really think you're right. What can everyone comes to like you know specialty watching do to yeah. help as individuals? flow uh, companies that have signed the pledge from transparent trade there we go uh, probably 20 seconds so uh, I, money was the last thing that I heard <laughs> how much did you miss <laughs>
sure that your money actually ends. We're back good. That's all good. It's uh, now. Don't be sorry. These these things happen. And look, it's. It, I'm glad that we got the first 37 minutes uh, pristine and perfect. And I'm sure we're gonna yeah, do another sorry, session. The, in a the few connect, months. I don't know if it's on, on my end or you and You know, you can keep going with that. Hands. Okay. But basically, about you know. Yeah. Watching where your money goes, I think it's it's relevant because that's what you're in control with. Same with. Probably many Danish people are doing live streams or Australians, and that's okay. Uh, it happens. Um, now, look, um, uh, we are approaching oh, the end. Here. We got under 10 minutes. First of all, class. Yeah. That's all right. Um, um, yeah, I keep getting that too. Um, and apologies for watching, but these things happen and we just need to accept them as they are. Um, thank you very much for coming in. I'm going to DM you uh, something more yeah, in so better uh, words. Um, but, you know, in your words, what's next for you, Klaus? And if you have to leave a few words yeah. of advice for people who are yeah. chasing that passion for coffee, but they are stuck into what's considered by society a good job and they don't want to leave that university degree on the table. The stage is yours. Yeah, I really think that that strikes a key with me. I I skipped out of university with with less than a year left um, to focus on coffee and and really don't regret that. I think uh, working hospitality and working in coffee it provides so many meaningful experiences back to you that yeah don't worry about expectations from society. I think that's that's one of the things holding us back that. That you have, you go to a Christmas dinner and your uncle is, oh, when are you going to get a real job? And it's like, well, I'm actually in a real job. It's just actually a career. I love it. Uh, and, and in terms of one Coffee Collective and yourself, what's next on your horizon, on your planet? Who worked a lifetime in it and they are happy. They love it. Uh, so, yeah, so stick in and, yeah, make sure, yeah, keep, keep at it. Yeah, so one one really positive thing is that uh, this this past weekend we actually opened a new coffee shop in this uh, old telephone booth, this iconic buildings that are a few of them around Copenhagen, and it felt so good to finally have something new opening up, something positive after all these months of nothing happening and and hearing how people are going bankrupt and everything. So to be able to open something new up. 
is fantastic. And, and I'm happy to say that we're already working on the next project as well. So it feels like we're back, there's momentum, there's positive energy, and, and thankfully there's lots of coffee-hungry people out there. So I that is so good to hear. And honestly, I saw the picture of that. And uh, tough, yeah, it made me a little bit FOMO if you're missing there, out, of course, because I was like, uh, uh, I can't go there. Um, so but yeah, look, Yeah. Yeah. Agent uh, in the in the coffee world, in the coffee community and industry. So I'm really thankful for that. I think lots of people go find value in what you shared in the next uh, days, weeks, months, where you know they're rewatch, re-listen exactly. to it. Yeah. So thank you for that, uh, Klaus, and uh, I hope that one day we'll. We'll get to meet you in person because that would be uh, absolute treat. And maybe we can we can touch base and maybe redo this in a couple of months and see where you're at. And and uh, and uh, maybe we can do a. Thanks for having me. And maybe. Yeah. No. Hopefully, be fun. hopefully, I'll we'll still be there, but we'll see. Um, and maybe the next point. time we can do a virtual tour of the roastery, whatever, whatever brings you to, to happiness. Uh, but it was an absolute pleasure and treat to have you, absolutely. Thank you, and enjoy your day, I suppose, because it's still early over there. Thank you, Klaus. Have an almost yeah, day ahead. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, there you have it, guys. Um, Apologies for the couple of inter interruptions uh, with connections. Obviously, it was uh, uh, out of our control, and these things happen. Uh, but, you know, Klaus was uh, punctual, was on time, and it was such a treat and an amazing uh, chance for me to talk to uh, someone who who's been in coffee for a while, who has been uh, pushing the boundaries and really believing and being happy and really nurturing those values that it should really be nurtured when it comes to uh, chase your own passion. I hope you enjoyed this. I think. community-based channel and we always love to hear from all different type of people they all have their own stories we all have a story to share and his story was just incredible for me uh, to hear and learn more about it uh, especially into a digital uh, format so if you enjoyed it uh, it would mean the world to me if you took a screenshot uh, and reshared this or retweeted I think that uh, more people uh, would find this uh, valuable. Uh, and I'm going to save this into our IGTV library. And in a couple of days, it will be available onto our podcast and YouTube channel. So it is Coffee with Mirko. If you still haven't signed up on our Spotify or Apple podcast, uh, 
uh, I would like you to join us there on our YouTube channel. It's just uh, lovely to see our little tiny family growing into a bigger family and spreading the love and the concepts and the values that we all stand by it. Uh, big shout out to everyone who is still sticking around. Uh, Tanti, huge passion, beautifully felt uh, from his words, 100% vague, my man, legendary talk. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, Oasis Dweller, amazing questions and best of luck with your Street project. Feel always free to reach out to, to us for anything. Always happy to share my network and my little uh, experience. Oasis Consult, I got no words for you, man. You go such a big heart and you're always on these podcasts and live streams. You really, you know, don't get unseen. You really, again, no, I notice you every single time. Thank you for your support and love. And uh, let's have a look who else is on. Uh, we got Ein Frolichens Medchen, and we got Xafsa, Lily, uh, Yuki Melbourne, uh, Senior Round 2, um, Safland, uh, and uh, that's about it. Uh, you guys stuck around for 57 minutes. Uh, we'll close the chat now. If you have any questions, if you have any last message to share, just drop it down there. Happy to read them out loud and give you a shout out. That is not a problem. I think that, you know, with anyone else who's gonna join this, uh, this show, these questions that I always prepare cater well to have a flowing conversation for you to follow, revisit, rewatch, re-listen, in that case to be able to find that value even in a week time in a month time when you find yourself in a position where you need those words whether it's from klaus from today where it's from sasha Sestik, or other amazing people that we've interviewed uh the will still be relevant so my dream is that these pieces of content will still be relevant in a month in a year in two in three in five in ten because they will remain there um, tomorrow we have Maxwell Colonna, uh, if you don't know much about him, um, I would highly recommend you to have a look at that, a look at him and Colonna Coffee. I'm sure Vag, you, you know a little bit about them um, being living in their country. Um, to, yes, then after that we have Matthew. And uh, my video just paused, so we found out that the internet issue was on my end. Thank you. Thank you for sticking around, Seflen. Grazie mille. Be safe out there. Keep safe. Oh, Vag, here you are. Great person. Yeah, I can't wait for tomorrow too. Uh, keep yourself safe. Keep pushing for the love of coffee. Keep doing what you love. And I will see you real soon tomorrow, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Peace out.